Welcome back to Contractor Evolution and episode number three of the Ultimate Hiring Funnel series. Okay, so to set this up, uh, I want you to think for a second about your current recruiting strategy and specifically how much of it relies on lucking out and having the exact right person see your posting at the exact right time. Like, are you actively recruiting for top talent or are you passively waiting for a needle in the haystack? Making a great hire is impossible if if you don't have anyone good to choose from, which is why 90% of the hiring problem from our perspective is fundamentally top of funnel. You can practice your interviewing skills all you want, and we definitely will in the next episode of this series, but if you don't have a great pool of candidates to interview, where does that leave you? Now, we've all at some point felt this frustration of posting an open position on a job board only to find that a few days later, you know, maybe a few totally unqualified people have applied and that's it. This hope and pray strategy has led many lesser entrepreneurs to all but abandon the search entirely, comforting themselves instead with stories and excuses that often blame lazy millennials, COVID, or some government policy. But that's not you. As an evolved contractor, you know that promotion of your job ads and your, and your employer brand is the missing link in this all-important chain. So to speak in depth about active tactics and promotional recruiting, we're really excited to have Asid Zaman on the show with us today. Asid is the CEO of Sales Talent Agency. They're an international recruiting firm that has helped acquire talent for over 1,500 companies, and some of them you know pretty well. Harley-Davidson, SAP, IBM, Salesforce, Sonos, just to name a few. Asid has won Toronto's Young Professional of the Year in 2019, and you're going to see pretty quickly why in this episode. This guy is seriously dialed. And there's also a very good reason why we decided to bring someone from outside the trades and construction space in specifically for this topic, because the level of sophistication in recruitment and employer brand and really all things hiring is a lot more evolved in other industries such as tech where he plays. So with that, there's a lot that we learned in today's conversation. So some of the really cool things we explore today with Asid, he talks about the three talent pools that are available to any entrepreneur entrepreneur and why most of you are barely scratching the surface of just one of them. He also talks a lot about this concept of strategic empathy and how placing yourself in the shoes of these prospects and candidates is a way better way to get strong results. And lastly, he gets into how to integrate this talent acquisition mindset into your company culture, especially the people that you're promoting. So without further ado, let's get into some wicked wisdom from today's amazing guest. You're listening to Contractor Evolution, where we unpack the systems, tactics, and skills you need to take your fast-growing contracting business to the next level. If you're here to learn what it takes to scale up, work less, and increase profitability, you've come to the right place. Stay tuned to learn what separates the new breed of contractor from the old school, and welcome to your ultimate guide on the business of contracting. Hey, just before we jump into things, I wanted to let you know you can get the free resources that we talk about in this episode in the show description. So hit pause right now, go download them, and they'll be waiting in your inbox by the time we finish this episode. Asad, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to this. We Amazing. really appreciate you doing this and uh, th this conversation in this whole in this whole six part series. I think this is one that I've been looking forward to 
the most, if I can even say that. I, I shouldn't have favorites, <laughs> but I might. Because this is this is the crux of the issue, right? And I, I, I want to start here, uh, this conversation, with something that you said to me when we were just kind of chatting about this last week, which was um, making a good hire is impossible if you have nobody good to choose from, right? And I've mm-hmm. just... It's so simple, but I've, I've, I've never heard it phrased in, in such a clean way. And I, I think a lot of contractors feel that. It's like I can do interviews all day long. I can try to profile people and, and make the best choice. But if my uh, what I have to select from is pretty limited, you know, we're, we're dead in the water. So can you just unpack for us um, why solving this top of funnel issue is so fundamental to success in business? So... A while ago, we started um, talking to companies and trying to understand why they thought they were making bad hires, right? Like, what was going on? Why did they have turnover? And we started with some really large companies, uh, some of the most recognizable names in the software world. Um, And we went across the board. We went to mid-market firms. We went to small organizations. And we kept hearing this very common piece of feedback. We missed something in the interview process. Everybody was saying this. And at the same time, they were investing in um, learning how to do interviews better. They were investing in psychometric testing and bringing in consultants to help them interview. Um, And we thought, okay, there's some logic there. But saying that all of this, this entire problem is caused by our inability to identify if this person was good or not, can't really be the whole issue. And what we realized is that they are just selecting from a crew that wasn't very high quality. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have good people to choose from, you're gonna make a bad choice, right? You could be the world's best person at interviewing. You will make a bad choice, right? And so to make a good choice, the first thing is having good people to choose from. Then even somebody who gets a B grade at interviewing and without any psychometric testing and all of these things, you will most likely make a good choice. Um, there are. It's not to say that choosing is not something you should think about. I'm not saying that you shouldn't invest time and energy in equipping the people that you hire uh, for success. But the first place you've got to think about and invest time and energy in solving a problem uh, is making sure you have good people to so- uh, pick from the top of the funnel. I think that um, a, a lot of our, our listeners um, either feel right now or, or have felt in the past like they they really just are stuck in a position where they'll they'll take who they can get. It's like in, like interviewing and being choosy like that's a luxury reserved for other business owners. But for us, we just kind of like you know they're they're. We're, there's, there's not enough people here to choose from. We're, we're taking the scraps. And I, like that's sort of a dramatic way of saying it, but I've, I've actually spoken to entrepreneurs who are really, really frustrated because they're just like, I post something and I wait for a week and there's like three resumes. And like, wh- what do I do? Yeah, that's like um, somebody who wants to lose weight saying, I want to lose weight. I sat on the couch for a bit and I, I waited, nothing happened. I don't know what's going on, right? Yeah. Like, it's you can't just like post a job and hope that somebody amazing is going to apply to you. Um, who are you? Why are you so special? Like, why should you be this lucky consistently? Really? Like, that's it makes no sense. And so, I th- no, it's I th- th- that's a really good point on on the consistency. And I'll I'll, I'll say something in, in in a second, but go, uh, go go ahead on that point aside. I think it's understanding that in our businesses. 
people are really important, right? And if you have really good people, then you really have a competitive advantage in the in the world out there. And if you talk to the same people that are complaining to you about posting a job and not finding good people, um, ask them this question: How how much of an advantage is it for you? Uh, when you have somebody really good. And they'll usually say it's a huge advantage. My clients love that person. The work we can do is a lot better. It got us repeat business, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so if that is the case, then why aren't you investing in solving this problem? Because I can assure you, look around. There are a lot of companies that have solved this problem, right? There are a lot of companies that hire great people, find them, attract them, know how to pick them, know how to keep them. Lots of them. So and I can assure you, they're not just posting a job up there and hoping that somebody great applies to it and they get lucky all the time. And so look at what they're doing and start doing some of those things um, and you might not be this frustrated. Yeah, it's, it's a really good point, Asad, made around the, the consistency, right? I think a lot of us have gotten lucky once or twice, perhaps mm. with, with some good hires just by having like, like a half-decent maybe posting strategy. But if you're going to be really good in this space for the long term. And we are, of course, in a very people-driven business. You need to have a consistent engine for generating applications over the long haul because the volume of people that you're going to need over the course of your Mm -hmm. career as a very entrepreneurial contractor is a lot. Like you're going to hire who knows how many hundreds of people. and, and, And yeah, you may get lucky here and there. But if you don't have a consistent engine, it's going to be hard over the long haul. So it is a skill and a method that's worth figuring out. It's also a set of habits and and the and the, the word engine is the right one. Most most contractors are familiar with like their sales and marketing engine. There's a steady flow of leads, they're doing estimates every week, some percentage of those convert into sales and then they go and produce them for a profit. But that same engine mentality is missing yeah. is missing on this side of the business. It's a secondary activity, something that they do when they have time. When in reality, what Assad is saying, and, and we're going to unpack this thoroughly today, is it, it's a core function of your business. There's serious time, resources, money, energy devoted to this. And that's just the way it is. You can you can make up a story about like, hey, there's nobody out there. Nobody wants to work for me and have this very like downtrodden approach to it. Or you can look at it, as you said in other episodes, it's a market like any other. So you just you just need to adjust. And I think smart entrepreneurs are right now and they have been and, and, they're, and they're seeing it. Uh, they're seeing it benefit their business in, in myriad ways. I want to um, get your perspective. Actually, before you go into that, there's sure. something that you said that's worth breaking down. So you called it, if you think about a business um, in this space, like a marketplace, a lot of them have invested time, money, and energy in solving the demand problem, right? Which mm. is the marketing and sales side. And it's not an easy problem to solve. It's sophisticated. It's complex. You've got to really... Um, think of a number of very interesting, in, interesting, innovative ways to get in front of customers and get their interest and close business with them. If you're a marketplace, you have a demand side and a supply side. The supply side of this world is the people. And no marketplace catches fire and grows exponentially unless you solve both of those sides. The interesting thing in this world, though, is that a lot of the things that they do on the demand side if they actually took that same mindset over to the supply side, they would actually be able to attract great people, right? Like it is a marketing and sales game at the end of the day. Um, We think of it as an HR problem. It's a marketing and sales problem. 
And if you can start thinking of your business as a marketplace where you need to keep solving for the demand and supply side of things, I think it puts you in the right mind frame uh, to mm. build properly. Thousand percent, a thousand percent. So that's why we wanted to have you on. Um, in your kind of extensive experience in this world, um, have you observed any like external factors, macro trends in the economy, different generations um, that that have made this situation harder? Because this is what a lot of people will say. They'd be like, I started my business X many years ago. I remember a time where I, like all I had to do was like, post a couple postings and and I and I wake up in the morning and there was an inbox full of resumes I'd call up a few and I like it just it just wasn't this hard so are there some things out there in the world that you can point to to actually just maybe validate that feeling I think that is a lazy way to think um right like the the entire economy evolves all the time and good business leaders don't just uh, reminisce about yesteryear, they adjust to the dynamics that are out there today, um, right? There's always, it's cyclical. And so it's going to change and it's going to evolve. And somebody good is like a mixed martial artist who can adjust according to right. the dynamics in place today. Um, so yes, you can, you can make an argument that right now we have gone through a pandemic. The pandemic forced a shutdown. It forced everybody to really rethink their lives, ask some really big questions of themselves, like, what do I want my life to be? And am I fulfilled? Am I getting what I want from the way that I deploy my time? And it is also very fair to say that some of those people, when they ask themselves that question, the answer is what I'm doing right now is not what I want to continue doing. I need to make a change. There's a lot of, there are a lot of people in every industry that have had that moment. Mm -hmm. It's also fair to say, and I, I'm, I, there's an argument that people have been making that people are getting stimulus, uh, stimulus checks. And so why would they have an incentive to go work? Sure. There might be a group of people that have said, these checks are just so good that I'm not going to go out and find a job. I so much money. I'm just buying everything, right? Because <laughs> right. of it. Like, I'm just, I'm loaded right now. Sure, maybe, right? But it's also fair to say that there are a lot of people out there that are working. The economy is growing. The stock market is at record highs. The GDP growth rate has been great. Um, Thousands of people have been hired every week for the last many, many months. A lot of companies have hit record numbers in terms of their employee count. So a lot of companies are being, have solved this hiring problem for themselves. Is it easy for them? No, but they've thought about it. They've adjusted to the market and they've done the things required to be able to solve for it. I think the macro trends are there. Um, and the biggest thing I would take away from this macro uh, this situation we have gone through is the following. If your job is not fulfilling to people, they will leave your industry. We see that in the hospitality industry, right? Mm. People are not going back to hospitality. They don't feel like that's a place I want to deploy my time anymore. Um, and so what has it led to? It's led to an increase in compensation. Companies are trying to do all sorts of creative things to hire people over there, but they're struggling because a lot of people have left that industry. Learn a lesson from there. Um, you know, there were a lot of things people in that industry just didn't get. There were a lot of good things about those jobs. I've done them, right? Like you learn a lot and you can make decent money, etc. But when people looked at it overall, 
it wasn't giving them what they were looking for. And I think there are many other sectors where those type of dynamics play out, where there's no career path. Mm -hmm. The money is not lucrative enough. And sure, in a market where it's not a candidate's market, right, where not, the economy is not growing, meaning there's not high demand for candidates, over there, yes, you can be you can pay people a little bit less than what they might be worth and you don't have to give them a career path because they're desperate. Mm. Uh, but that's not good for the world. We're in a good spot where people have options, good options available to them and they're leaving shitty jobs to go do those jobs. You want to hire people, give them what they need. They need a career path. They need training and development. They need to make good money. If you give them those things, you're not going to have such a hard time hiring. Yeah, su su such great points, guys. Such great points. I think this note of, of this the whole problem is is really centered around a marketplace. And the reality is, is that there are so many companies in this modern economy that have figured this out really well, mm -hmm. this talent acquisition play. And and if um, and if you're serious about being an entrepreneur, you have to play at that level too. Otherwise, you're, you're simply going to get beat out in that because so many others have, have figured it out. So aside, here's, I want to get into some of the nuts and bolts of this conversation. And I really loved when, when we spoke last time, you explained it so well and so eloquently that if you put yourself into the shoes of a really good person in this marketplace, they can be at these three different, I guess, stages, as you call them of, of, of their, of their life. Like we're either, you know, there, there's some that are actively working, but they're kind of open to an opportunity. Uh, there's some that are not working, that, that are just kind of working, but they're just, they wouldn't even think about other stuff. Tell us a bit about like how you look at, at the individuals that are out there and the different types of approaches um, that you might take. Give us just a summary and an overview of all of them, and then maybe we'll get into them uh, one by one. Sure. So if you think about people, they are searching for something, right? When they work for an organization, um, they are trying to build a life for themselves. They're trying to make money. That's the first level, right? They need some security. Um, if they've got that, then they want it to be enjoyable. And if they're doing well, they want growth from there. They want a company that invests in enabling that, all of these things. And so depending on how much a person is getting uh, in terms of these needs of theirs at an organization, in a particular role, um, defines how open they are to a next step, mm -hmm. right? So if a person is getting everything, then they're not actively looking for a job. They might not even be open to having a conversation with somebody they trust. Why? Because they're getting what they want. They're super excited and engaged. I know for most of my career, if anyone reached out to me, I was like, I'm good. Like I have everything I need and more mm -hmm. over here. There's no chance that I'm gonna be looking at something else. I just don't want to. Now. You can also assume that that's not everybody's reality all the time, right? We've all been in roles where sometimes some of the stuff is missing. Uh, maybe we're not making as much money as we want. Maybe our boss sucks. Maybe they're not investing in our development. Maybe they have un unfair expectations of us. Maybe there's no opportunity for growth. If one or more of these things are missing, but we have and we have the majority of them, but one or more, one or two are missing. Mm. We might be open to a conversation, right? Somewhat passively, though. We're not aggressively going out knocking on doors saying, "Give me a job, give me a job." But if you reach out to me and you say, "You, I got this job. It's interesting. This is the company. This is what they do. Um, the the person that's hiring is really cool. You need to talk to them." I might have a conversation. 
fair to say, right? Mm-hmm. So you would call that person a passive candidate. They're not aggressively looking for a mm-hmm. job. They're just passively open to an opportunity. And then if a person is not getting the majority of these things in an organization, what do you call them? An active candidate. They want to get the hell out. They will, they're actively, aggressively looking for a job. They're knocking on your door. They're knocking on Benji's door. They're knocking on Matt's door. They're looking at job boards. They're applying. They're cold crawling people. They're doing whatever they can to find a job. So those are the three types of candidates. And the thing with organizations, um, especially I think organizations that are complaining about their ability to find candidates is they usually only focus on one of those talent pools, right? What do these companies usually do? They post a job and they hope somebody applies for it. Mm -hmm. Which talent pool are you targeting with that? The ones that are aggressively looking for a job. But mm. of that talent pool, you really want a particular quality of a candidate, right? You want really good people. And so you're hoping that somebody really good is not getting everything that they're looking for, is aggressively looking for a job when I have posted that job and applies to it. We call this a luck-based strategy. You should always try to get lucky, but you cannot rely on luck. Right. So that's one type of approach to finding candidates. The second approach are uh, people in your network, mm. right? You're going to then say, if one place I can find people are people that are actively looking for a job, going to the job boards, the second group will be people within my network um, that I can tap into. I'm going to um, tell e- all my employees and my friends and my family, etc., that, hey, I'm looking to hire somebody. Do you know somebody that fits this uh, criteria? I'd love to talk to them. Now, the thing is that if you're Google and Amazon, you can probably make a shit ton of hires through that talent pool, yeah. right? But if your your business, my business, or one of these other businesses, our networks are somewhat small, right? Like they're not a lot of people working in our firms yet. They're not hundreds of thousands of employees. So what does that mean? The network is small. Hence, always tap into your network. You'll usually find really good people from there, but you cannot rely on that, which means where else do I look? If I'm not going to find them from my network, I'm not going to find them from the job boards. Where else do I look? And that's talent pool number three. There are people out there that can do this job. They have no idea who you are. They've not heard of you. They're not aggressively looking for a new job. They might be that semi-passive type of candidate. Uh, somebody has got to approach them, help bring, make them aware of who you are and why this might be a great op- uh, opportunity for them in their careers and get them interested in your organization. That's talent pool number three. Our point of view on recruitment is that for most types of companies out there, their best hires consistently will come from this talent pool. We also know that most companies do not really focus in on this talent pool. Mm. So it's an under-targeted, under-appreciated talent pool that could be the difference between hiring consistently C players or A players. So I'll stop there and then you guys can probe. Yes, it's great. It's great. I love the way you broke that down. There's kind of, there's three pools. There's your network. There's people that are actively looking. They're on... Craigslist, they're on Kijiji, they're on LinkedIn, Glassdoor, ZipRecruiter, whatever. They're they're actively looking for something. And then there's people that aren't even on the market that you could tap and potentially engage. And I, it's it sounds like a smart business owner would would be employing all like they they'd be using all three um, yep. in in like in a synchronized fashion. Why don't we go through just like some thoughts or some practical advice to maybe 
get the ball rolling in in all three of these pools. You want and, to- so just really quick point I want to say just something so simple but great that Assad said and so I work good enough Benji you and I at math to understand maybe just basic fractions, right? Yeah, right. right. Uh, if you know you're you're basically hoping for and and I think that's the really good word is hope and luck, right? You've got a small fraction of people that are actively looking and that's the only pool that most are mining. And within mm-hmm. that, then you've got your qualification criteria where it's like 2% of maybe the people in that pool are the ones you're looking for, but you've already diluted it with mm-hmm. a fraction to begin with. So you're not even, you're by no means looking at all the great people out there. You're looking at a not small fraction of them. Yeah. And then you're looking at a tiny percentage within that. And and that's why there's no consistency. You know, it says, it says you might get lucky, but... Um, you you're just not. you you over the course of time you won't because you're looking at a very small pool and and it is a very just simple switch in mind frame of how do we open up the whole um, our whole net to all the people through some yeah. of these other strategies. So it's you good. guys said something a little while ago, which was I think what you said was um, that a lot of people will once in a while have found somebody good through this channel, right? And we all have, right? Like if we're real with ourselves, I have posted a job and found found somebody really good for totally. me. Totally. So have I. Yeah. But what are the odds, right? Like how often does it happen? Maybe once in 10 times. If mm-hmm. you went to the casino and played roulette and you had to put 100 bucks on 10 or on red 10 times and you won only once, like it's not great, right? Um, so that's really the problem with it. When getting lucky once creates a really bad habit in us. It makes us lazy because next time we're like, let's try and get lucky again. Um, and we're not even realizing that we're relying on luck. We just think that's the only way to do it. And we need to start thinking that this is the, if we found somebody through here, fantastic, but really focusing on everything else um, so that we can build companies with great people. Amazing. So let's let's break down these three pools and, and get your thoughts on just some practical advice um, on each. Uh, we'll go your network first, then we'll talk about the people that are actively looking because we actually have in this series talked about how to write great job postings for that specific category. And then I want to get into the third, which I know is is your power zone. But let's talk about let's talk about people in your network first. What what should a, a smart business owner do in that category? Well, I think the first thing is recognizing that you want to start creating programs to tap into people's networks early on. But you have to realize that based on how big that network is, it might not be a very fruitful source of candidates consistently. But if we look at the math of this, like let's say two out of 10 hires we found through our network, one out of 10 hires we found through uh, the job boards and then a couple through headhunting. You know, now we're building a good team, like we're spreading our risk out, right? Um, and the bigger you get, the more prolific your network becomes yeah. in terms of a source of pipeline. How do you tap into it? I think the first thing is recognizing you have to give people an incentive to do extra work, right? So you've got some employees and what you're hoping is that your employees know people and within their networks is somebody good who can do the job, who'd want the job um, and who'd fit into your culture. And so something very simple, this is not a sophisticated strategy is, Put a bonus, a referral bonus, and say, if anyone um, introduces us to somebody that we end up hiring, we'll give you a bonus, a couple of grand, right? 
Um, now, you also want to add a filter in there. You just don't want them to introduce you to anyone, right? You want them to introduce you to good people. And so say, part of that, bo the first part of that bonus, we're going to pay you uh, once they pass their probation. And the second part of their bonus, we're going to pay you if they hit their six-month performance target. So now what you've got is you've got people that are making an upside based on the introduction they make, but only if the introduction is good. And so now you've got their network. The thing is that we want them to actually tell their network to give them someone. So we want to tap into second and third degree connections right. as well. And so if you say to these people that we're happy for you to split this bonus up with other people based on how you feel fit, feel free to do it. Like we don't, we don't care. We just want to get good people. So now what this person can say is, okay, I'm going to get a $3,000 bonus. If this person was hired through my network, I'll keep one and a half thousand. I'll give up one and a half grand, or I'll keep one and I'll give away two to whoever in my network now introduces me to them. What happens? They go on Facebook and they make a post to like 900 of their friends. They go on some other social network on Instagram and they make a post over there. Um, they message their cousins and everybody else on WhatsApp, on their WhatsApp groups, and they say, yo, I'm looking, like, tell me, who do we know, right? So you start really getting some results over that. Um, that's the first thing. Now, the second thing is that it's not just employees who can give us referrals. Um, how many people do we interact with on a regular basis running our businesses? Mm -hmm. um, when I was in university, I ran a company called A to Z Property Maintenance. We used to do driveway ceiling, lawn aeration. So I, I've been in this world. I used to sell door to door. And towards the end of our run, like when right before I graduated, we were doing uh, renovations of uh, houses. And we did quite a few really large projects, um, large for us as students, right? Like a hundred grand type of project. Mm -hmm. Now, in that, um, there were things we could do and there were things we couldn't do. We sold the whole project, right? We like, we can renovate it all. And we didn't even know how to do flooring. We didn't know how to do painting. Like we knew literally 25% of the scope of that project. So what did we do? We found partners for the rest of it, right? I found somebody for painting. I found somebody for the flooring. I found somebody for the interlock. And so those are people that we all know. Tap into that network, like reach out to them. Be like, hey, I'm growing my business. This is the type of person I'm looking for. Um, do you know anyone? Like we're, we're giving away a referral bonus to people. Um, do you know somebody? Feel free to share this with your network. Um, if they think that you're a good place to work, um, they will usually tap into their networks. I can also tell you a good way to know that people don't think you're a good place to work is you do all this stuff and you get no referrals. Right. It means everybody thinks you're a shitty employer and you've got some bigger questions to ask of yourself um, uh, before solving your hiring problem. You're probably not even going to be able to retain good people. That's a whole other situation, right? Um, so you tap into your partner network um, and your supplier network. Yeah. And the last thing you can do is you can get involved with places where these people are getting skilled, mm -hmm. right? So colleges or wherever they go to learn the craft. And over there, there's a, there's a network, right? So how do you get involved over there? Like, can you go and work with one of the professors and give talks once a semester to their class? Um, can you do some type of a partnership program with uh, with the school itself where they do um, they get to work with you for a short period of time to get some practical exposure? And now everybody in that institution respects your company, says great things about your organization. And when you need to hire, you're calling um, Janice or 
uh, Robert um, at the college and saying, yo, I'm looking for somebody, please help me out. And they'll probably know a lot of people that they can then uh, refer you uh, refer over to. So those would be like a couple of simple ways, like going from zero to one. There's some like sophisticated stuff you can do. Mm -hmm. Start with this because even this most people are not doing. Yeah, there's there's something that we do um, with a lot of our members. We've, we've done it at Breakthrough Academy a handful of times. And this might be considered more of like a guerrilla tactic, but to your it like incentivize them point, you create this little referral program. You decide what the the hiring bonus is. Is it a thousand bucks? If it's, is it three thousand dollars for for a higher level role? You know that that's up to you and 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 your discretion. But you've you've got some carrot that you're dangling. Um, and what we've actually had our members do with huge success is they get their team together in a room, usually on a Friday afternoon. Get a case of beer, order some pizza, but have it be all, like on paid time. So they, they, they have to be there. They, they really uh, do need to take this seriously. You get your entire team to open up their, their Facebook and you give them the job posting that you've written, which is what we talked about in the last episode. You give them a nicely written job posting that has photos, that tells a story, that really, really captures the ideal, captures the eye of the ideal um, candidate. And you literally, ha you set a goal and set a timer and you're like, you are going to write out a personalized message saying, hey, blank, insert name. Um, I work for this really company, a really cool company called BTA Painting. We're looking for a project manager right now. There's a great job description here. You can read through it. Uh, we're looking for somebody to fill this role in the next little bit. If we, if we find them, uh, you know, there'd be a $1,000 bonus to the finder's fee or whatever to the person who helps us find them. Does this sound like someone you might know? You don't want to ask them directly. That can be a little bit intense, but you would just sort of like leave it open-ended. Um, and that, because it's not like a Facebook status, just like sitting there passively, it's getting yeah. pushed out and people get a notification. Oh, I got I got a message. They look at it. That's amazing. It's like unbelievable how effective that is. And I know people have like filled roles quite quickly just in an afternoon after months of waiting around on Indeed or some other job board. So there are these little like hacky kind of guerrilla-esque tactics yeah. that you can use that, that will really get some momentum going. Yeah, it's, it's a really I, good point. And, and sorry, I said, I was just going to say yeah. the, the other, what I also really like is this college idea. I think, I don't know if many, many, very many people think that way, but you can also even incentivize the college and to, to give like a three or $5,000 scholarship or whatever. If, if, if you hire somebody from them, there's, there's many ways to look at your network. It's not just your staff. It's the other vendors and suppliers. It's colleges. You're very much like thinking of the broader network. I think a big part of this is realizing people can be a competitive advantage and in investing time, energy, resources, money mm -hmm. towards this. That's the first thing. And it has to be like a, a core belief um, in the organization. And I think planning is something that companies early on struggle to do. There's just so much going on. I'm going to sit aside and spend days planning my next year, really. Um, you know, I completely empathize with that. It's not easy to run a small business. It's not easy to run a growing business. It's not easy to run a business when you're in high demand in a hot market mm -hmm. either, right? Like you're stretched, you, you're tired. Um, but sometimes stepping back and really thinking about how many people do we need to hire next year? And then how much should, how much time should we be putting towards this really matters. And the thing that makes it a lot easier is making sure you are consistently, you have a cadence where you're showing the world that you're a good place to work. And that's easier than most people think, right? Like uh, this is where social media uh, can play a really good part. 
um, because it's where you kind of show that here, here's how we're investing in our people. Here's how happy our people look. Here's some cool stuff that we've done, meaningful work. Like, you know, our people feel like they're working on really interesting special projects. Uh, here's somebody who just got promoted. Here's a person getting a bonus. So when you are reaching out to people and saying, I'm growing my business, they feel safe mm-hmm. to introduce you to people in their network. Mm-hmm. I, I really love when we see, and we have a few members that do this unbelievably well, they actually use their Instagram. It isn't so much, a, it's actually not really a marketing tool. Like they get their leads, they get their new business from elsewhere. It's purely an employer brand tool. And all they do is celebrate their employees, mm-hmm. make their job sites look really cool and make their business look amazing online. And it's like, if you don't think that somebody applying to your job posting or is maybe scheduled for an interview with you, if you think they're not checking you out on Instagram, like give your head a shake. You, you, yeah. you run a public page. Like everyone is going to go have a look and see, hey, do these guys look cool? Is this something I'm interested in or not? And that's just super low hanging fruit. Take a photo oh, of your cool job site. Uh, make make shout outs, announce awards, announce promotions. I just think that's a, that's a no brainer. Um, Let's let's let, that's some great thoughts on the network piece. Let's get into the the second category. So this is people that are actively looking. These they are checking job boards. They are somewhat unhappy with the job that they have. Maybe they're completely unemployed. Maybe they're in a transitionary phase, but they are looking for a job. What can we do to capture more of those people? When you go onto a job board and you look at the job posts and you look at them for all sorts of different roles. Um, in all sorts of different sectors. Don't they all look the same? Right? Every company, they just write the same shit over and over again. And how is that helping, giving us a higher probability of getting that one red, great, active candidate super excited about us? It's not. And so the first thing is really recognizing that this is a channel where you're trying to get lucky. And when you're trying to get lucky, do a bunch of things to maximize the probability of getting lucky. Um, And so what can those things be? First, don't make this a selfish post about what what your job is and what you think is going to be the minimum qualification um, required to get this job. I'm looking for an entry-level customer service person for a $37.5,000 base with eight years of experience yeah. who must be great at, you know, AutoCAD and like, all, like why? Like, well, why are we setting all of these like filters and just making the pool even the smaller. group of people? Yeah, right? Like, well, what is this madness? Like, keep it super loose um, and start with have some strategic empathy, you're business owners, you, you've solved your sales and marketing problem for which you have to have had empathy for your ideal customer profile. So now think about the candidates you need and think what are they looking for? What is the first thing you would look for if you're looking for a company? Do they do anything interesting? Is this an interesting place to work? Is that do I connect with like their purpose, their mission, like all of that stuff? Is there any proof that they're good? Um, how do their people feel? How do they care about their people? How do they invest in their people? Is there opportunity for growth? Um, are they reasonable about their expectations with me? Is there any proof that people in this organization are backing up the shit that they're saying? Mm-hmm. Oh, this is there. I'm excited now, right? So why isn't the first half of a job description focused on that? And the second half is like, oh, by the way, this is the role. And we think that anyone with you know this high-level qualification is somebody we would want to talk to. Some of your best hires were unconventional, right? 
everybody I know, you ask them that question, they nod yes. And so then why are we not opening up the probability to interact with the unconventional through this channel? And so I think you start with the first half being all of those things um, that get good people excited. And the second half is what the job is. And in that, you keep it quite loose. And then you hold your fingers crossed. Hopefully somebody at least sees it. At least if they see it, now they'll want to apply to it. Um, now, you can do a little bit more than that. You can make sure you're posting it in the right places. Usually people post on like the worst job boards and they're like, I don't know why good people aren't applying. <laughs> Did you post on LinkedIn? No, so expensive, $500. Why would I do that? Um, so like, you know, the first thing is like post on LinkedIn, make sure you're posting on Indeed, sponsor that shit so that, you know, people are seeing it. Yeah. Um, and then share it, like share it on your networks, right? Like this is a way for you to also, um, you know, share it across your different social networks. We're hiring, make a big deal out of it. Um, and then if you really, really want to be um, thoughtful about this and do something that others are most likely not doing, um, go on Facebook and Instagram. You can target people very easily on these channels for advertising. Create two ads. One ad that targets your ideal candidate profile, the one that you're focused on for this role, um, in a way that helps increase your brand recognition and perception in their eyes. What's the purpose of any marketing? It's to influence those two things, right? So like run an ad campaign that does that first. And then simultaneously, but at a little bit of, uh, with a little bit of a wait time before you activate the second um, set of ads, um, make an ad about the fact that you're hiring for this position. Click here to look at our job post. Mm -hmm. That's really how I would go about trying to maximize the probability of people applying for my job. It's very interesting. Uh, this whole concept of building an employer brand through like paid, like paid social media channels, which mm -hmm. we know we advert, like a lot of companies advertise for, like from a consumer marketing perspective. But to do it from an HR point of view, like a recruiting point of view, and to do it both from like a building of an employer brand and targeted to ads is 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 definitely pretty neat. I love the way that Assad put it. He's like, this is the area where you're going to get lucky, where they just like happen mm -hmm. to be walking by when they're looking for a job, but maximize your opportunity to get lucky but it also totally aligns with the stuff we talked about last episode with Josiane and that framework we talked about where it's like this is for you if if you want like it's that that whole like flow through of how to write a job posting where I don't know 70% of it is about like what the candidate wants and how your business yeah. aligns with that then tucked in at the bottom very discreetly there's like a couple things that oh yeah we're, we're looking for this this and this but it's not the job posting isn't this like list of demands totally. right off the hop. It's like what? Why would anyone? Nobody yeah. wants that. So you and I both know guys that are eternally single because that's how they go about dating. Totally, so it, doesn't, it doesn't work. It's proven. Um, and so if you haven't checked it out, check out the last episode with Josiane on on building awesome job postings. So, guys, let's get to this all this this very exciting third category because this is the one that is. Very interesting in both that it's Assad's kind of, th that's their genius zone, but also this is the place where the people are that aren't necessarily like, uh, if I use a hunting example, aren't like happen to be walking straight in front of your binoculars because yeah. you happen to be in the tree stand. <laughs> Think of it like this. When you are an early stage business, do you get most of your new business is through inbound leads? No, no right? No. 
So then why would you get all your great employees inbound, right? You got to go to them just like you got to sell to get your first few customers. Um, you know, you, till you get to like, I don't know, 5 million, you're doing a lot of selling, right? And depending on the business you're in, it could be, you know, even a larger threshold. But usually I've noticed like in the, B, uh, in the B2B world, at least, at 5 million in revenue, you have enough of a foundation where your marketing can now start playing a pretty good role in giving you inbound leads or at mm -hmm. least helping you um, increase your conversion rates on outbound sales, right? Um, but prior to that, it's a lot of like knocking on doors. And we think that hiring has, it's the same philosophy there. So there are people out there. These people have the skills and capabilities you're looking for. They can do this job. Um, they have the right personalities, characteristics, competencies. They'll fit into your culture. You'd be super excited to hire them. But they have no idea who you are. You're a small little company that does cool things, that has a bright future, but they don't know that you exist. Mm -hmm. um, and so you've got to make them aware of yourself. And you've got to make them aware and excited to engage with you. And you've got to hope that there are a few elements in their job um, right now that they're not getting. And this means that before you do any of this, actually before you do any of the things we've discussed, you have to take a step back and really think about what are the things employees want and need from an employer in our space? What is the general stuff that everyone needs? And then let's break it down by at least each each functional area of our business. And are we giving these things? Or, and how are we showing people that we're giving these things? And so now most of the time, there are people out there, a, a good portion of high quality individuals that are not getting some of the stuff they're looking for. And if you reach out to them with the right job in the right way, um, they'll have a conversation mm -hmm. and you're gonna have to sell them. So this is a big shift, right? Like you've got to sell them. Like most of the time when people interview, it's like an interrogation, right? Why? Because they've got PTSD from making bad hires. So they <laughs> think they've got to really drill this person to like really understand like, is this person good? So now they start being like extremely rude and mean and um, just it's just a vicious cycle of bad decisions and bad habits, right? And so you've got to be selling these people. Um, and a good way to understand if you are talking to good people is you're doing the selling. Mm. right when you're not talking to good people you're being sold um, or you're interrogating and so you're going to have to do some selling now how do we do that there are a couple of ways we can break them down one is that you can reach out to them number two is somebody in your company can reach out to them to be able to do this you guys have to know where they where they are and how to reach out to them so you have to have some understanding of channels um, over there in your space and the third is you can engage a partner to do it. You know, our entire business is helping organizations um, tap into this talent pool, um, primarily in the B2B software world, but we have experience working with organizations in different spaces. So we've seen our frameworks work really well in all sorts of different spaces, not as much with companies of the sort that you're talking to, but we don't see any logic as to why they wouldn't be able to do this on their own or find a partner in their world who would be able to do it effectively for them. Yeah, but the fundamental principle is 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 one that makes a huge amount of sense to me and and it's a great analogy from this perspective of like when you're starting your business, you don't have when you don't have a consumer brand, you have to go out and hustle in the early days. We've you've done that. 
I've done that, Asad, you've done that. I think every single person listening right now and watching right now has done that. In the absence of a strong employer brand, it is it makes total sense that that if you want to maximize your results, you have to go and be able to get it just like you did on the consumer side, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it is an interesting one. And Asad, is this a fairly complex process? Like if somebody did want to do it in-house, um, like it, it is possible, right? But you're, you, the, the key factors are like you have to know where you're going to go and look to find prospective leads. And then you have to know the messaging and then you have to have the time, whether it's you or somebody internally, uh, to go do that. And just like all other cold calling, which is this essentially is, I would imagine there's quite a skill component to it. Is that is that about right? Yeah, I think you you laid it out really well. It's usually that you don't have the time and the skills to do it, right? Now, I would say that even doing it with bad skills is better than not doing it at all, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So that's step one. It's like, if you're not doing this, and you start doing it, and you're really not great at it, it's still not a bad idea to get good at it and try because there's still a chance that you'll get something out of it, right? Um, And you'll get better, right? Like, the more you do something, as long as you've got a decent processor between your years, you may learn and make adjustments, right? And get better at it. The second is that so, but the time one is why I think it's actually really hard for early stage entrepreneurs to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've all run businesses, I mean, built them up. And so we know how stretched you can be. And so in it, you inevitably have to brutally prioritize your time. And sometimes, you know, it, it brutal prioritization is one of those things where there's a reason why it's called brutal prioritization, right? Like something else important is suffering um, because of it and you just got to do it. So I think it's the time thing that makes it really hard for people. Um, But it actually doesn't take as much time as people think. Um, The earlier part is you got to sit down and identify a group of people to reach out to. Start with 20. Finding 20 people to reach out to, not impossible. Write a message, like an authentic message coming from you. If you're the business owner or one of the leaders in the business, it's not hard to like uh, write an authentic message about why you're a great place to work and that you'd want to t- chat with this person and throw them out and see what happens, right? Um, if you have an office manager um, or somebody of that sort in the organization, um, having them do it um, is not a bad idea. It, you know, they'll and having them kind of develop that capability so that once in a while they can deploy it is not horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to solving the problem in the best way possible, obviously somebody who has done this day in and day out, over and over again, will have a sophisticated understanding of how to do it. Right, like you know, there's that Bruce Lee saying: "Don't fear a person who knows ten thousand kids. Fear the person who's done one kid ten thousand times." And so, what happens with that? Right, like you just understand how to throw that kid that much better than anyone else on earth. And so, I think that's the idea. Where if you find somebody who specializes in it, they'll have the network, they'll know how to write the right message, they'll understand the candidate profile a lot better. Um, they will know how to reach out to them and they've developed the expertise on how to do that. And so they'll be able to get results a lot faster. It won't be as frustrating, but it will be expensive. And so 
the cost becomes the thing that I think becomes a limiting factor for people is like, I'm going to spend like a couple of grand to hire somebody great. Like, what if the person's not good? Like, what, what if the person still, you know, doesn't work out? And inevitably, if you work with, no matter what you do, you hire 100 people, wherever you get them from, God puts them in your company himself. Uh, some of them will not work out, right? So mm-hmm. um, you've got to be okay with the fact that we're not aiming for 100% win rate. Even Messi miss, misses some shots, right? Even Kobe missed some shots. And so we're hoping that the majority end up being great and a partner will be able to do that for you. And what is, how do you think about a great hire? You think about them from an ROI perspective, not a cost perspective. Mm-hmm. So you, to justify it to yourself, you take a step back and you ask yourself the question, what is the return on investment to me of a great hire? And honestly, if the answer to that is like, for this role, it's not that much, then you know, that, then that's not the role you're going to invest thousands of dollars to find somebody great for. Um, but what if it's, what if you're hiring a foreman or a project manager or a sales manager or a general manager mm-hmm. or an office manager? I think mm-hmm. office managers um, should definitely um, be the best possible office manager you can find. They will make this machine function. Um, over there, the ROI is massive, right? Um, the difference between a C player and an A player is leaps and bounds. And so that's how you justify the cost to yourself. I'm going for this ROI and for return on investment, there's a cost and this cost made sense. Yeah. The the key bit here, I think that your job as an entrepreneur and as a leader is you're kind of like to, to be the air traffic controller, essentially, of how you deploy people and resources, right? Because you're saying the project manager that's really good needs to be doing that job, their job here in our firm. The tax advisor that I pick, I need them to do their job. So I'm not doing the project managing because that's what Bill does and I'm not the tax advisor because that's what Ben does Mm -hmm. and nor am I the lawyer because that's what this guy is. And if I'm the headhunter recruiter, well, I don't have experience in that, but these guys, you know what I'm saying? Like that's kind of your job is to find the best people to do what they're good at. With that said, if a company is quite a bit smaller, Assad, but they but what we're talking about here does make sense to them and, and and you know someone's listening to this and saying, right, like I am missing a huge part of the labor labor pool because I'm just trying to get lucky with the people that happen to be looking at this very time. Um, and someone did want to try it themselves. For if someone is kind of newer to this, just in your experience, and they're trying to hire a mid-level person, on average, how many hours of prospecting do you think they're going to spend to come out with a decent set of candidates? Hmm. I think that's a good question, and it's it, it is quite subjective. I think the way to think about it is the following, though: um, if you were going to try and hire somebody who's done the exact same job somewhere else, shit ton of time. Why? Because nobody great wants to leave a job for the same job somewhere else, mm-hmm. hoping that you are a slightly better person to work with with a slightly better company, right? Like, fingers crossed. Like, no, it doesn't work like that. Um, you should, no one great makes lateral moves. If you look at the career trajectory of some of the best uh, professionals out there, it goes like this. Right. It might have like a time where they took an interesting risk and like there was like a shudder there, but most of the trajectory is like this. And so they would be open for the right next step in their career. And that's what you need to offer them. So you need to find people for whom this job is the right next step. And then it's a lot more efficient, right? Because they're excited. Like who doesn't want growth in their life? Who doesn't want to progress? 
Um, and so that's the thing. I think to do it in the most efficient way possible, um, you've got to really focus on the people for whom this is the right next step. Now, how much time does that take you really depends on the role. It depends on how well you can pay. It depends on all of these things. But usually if you're hiring a person who is stepping into a position, um, you're, you're able to provide them with a step up in compensation as well. And so that makes it a little bit more exciting for them. And you can highlight that in your outreach. So your conversion rates when you're sending these messages are a little bit higher. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're posting in these groups. I'm sure there are lots of groups in this in- industry on Facebook and other places. And you're posting there and people are noticing because they want to grow in their lives and they found a role that pays them more money and is more responsibility. Hell, of course, I want to have at least a conversation um, about it. And so it can end up being a little bit more efficient um, and those people will bring a level of enthusiasm to the role mm, yeah. that somebody who is doing the same thing somewhere else will just never yeah. bring, right? No. They need this to work. They want this to work. They're excited. Like you just made um, them feel like their dream is one step closer. And so, and that that energy in a company, oh my God, like it, it spreads, it spreads to other people. And that's really when you think about culture, you want some, you want a workforce that's in an inspired mind frame yeah. and making sure you are an organization that's bringing people in, giving them opportunities, investing in their growth and they, then giving them growth. Um, it really does do a wonders for creating an environment where people stay in an inspired mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's how I would think about it. It's hard to say exactly how much time, but I would say um, benchmark at least 40 hours to make a great hire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Start there. I, I think there's there's some things I just I really want to highlight that were so key. Um, it has to be the ne- the right next step for that person, and that usually is going to mean it's a step up for them. Yeah, the, 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 the marketing analogy on this one is what is the offer, right? We right. talk a lot about that in marketing. Like, yeah, so why bother? What yeah. are you offering? Yeah. And this is the same kind of thing. The offer is a lot more. Com- there's the off- the offer is compelling to a certain group of people more than a different group of people, mm-hmm. right? So, how compelling is your offer to who you're bringing it to, right? Yeah. But no, no one great makes a lateral move, and the pe- for the people for the people for whom this is the right next step for them, they bring enthusiasm. Whereas if you are just sort of slotting someone from one company to the other company, they're actually probably bringing entitlement. They're like, well, I, yeah. I made, I made the move. Like, is this, is this better? What have you got Let's to go. offer me? Like yeah, <laughs> totally. So I just love that way you frame that you need to really carefully consider this potential person. You don't know who they are yet. You're kind of thinking about the avatar, but it's like, what would be, how can I craft this in such a way that it is that step up for them that they're looking for, but they, they haven't even found it yet. And then here you are offering it on a silver platter. It's just a really, uh, you're going to save yourself a lot of time and a lot of phone calls yeah. if you set it up this way early. And the key thing, I think, is it from an interviewing perspective, uh, in order to do this effectively, you have to be able to interview people not just based on the actual job they've done before where you could say well if i want the guy to be a salesperson he must have been an equivalent kind of salesperson before you're not going that way what you're looking for is you're looking to analyze specific personality traits patterns preferences and Mm -hmm. abilities because they could have shown Mm -hmm. those capabilities in a lesser role so you're trying to find the people that were in a lesser role but 
have those natural preferences, those abilities, those traits. And, uh, and, and what I'm excited about in the next two episodes where we talk a lot about qualifying with mm-hmm. two real pros who have done thousands of interviews, uh, Danny Kerr on the next one. And then we have James Alish on the following, who's the director of 1-800-GOT-JUNK, uh, about $500 million a year in revenue tremendous amount of interviewing but that's what we're going to get to so stay tuned on the next couple episodes but that's pretty key uh that bit around like you have to be able to present a compelling offer and be able to see who's going to be able to step up to that challenge yeah when you think about hiring you have to remember that talent trumps experience right so for whatever you can afford invest in the highest level of talent that you can afford and compromise on experience for that level of talent. And the other thing is, when it comes to experience, I think the thing you're talking about is relevant experience, right? Like, so people think that if somebody has done the same job somewhere else, then they'll ramp up so quickly, I won't waste money on while they learn and they adjust. Um, but what we are saying is, essentially, uh, that there's a red flag if somebody leaves a job to do the same job somewhere, right? We're not even saying like, forget the enthusiasm, etc. It's a, it's strange. Why would this person, if they were really that good doing this job there, leave it to come here? If they were that good, would the company let them mm-hmm. go? Um, you know, would it be that easy to lose somebody and would they want to do the same job? Like what's going on over here? Yeah. Like there's a red flag. Mm-hmm. Um, so what you're hoping to see is enough relevant experience where they can ramp up in an appropriate amount of time um, and they can uh, they have transferable skills, um, but it's not a lateral move. So what does that mean? So you, you give a sales example. It's my world, so I can break that down a bit. Um, let's say somebody was selling something different to the same decision maker. And it was a little bit more transactional than what you'll be selling. And the sales cycle was a bit shorter. Um, But now they're going to be selling something a little bit more complicated with a bigger deal size and a longer sales cycle to a larger customer in and around the same world. Could they adjust to that with a little bit of training and development? Of course. Um, If they're smart, they'll do it really quickly. And so that's what you're trying to uh, qualify for um, and that's how much you should be looking for, that they can do it in an appropriate amount of time. Yeah. I love it. Such a good example. Such a good example. And to drive that point home, Benji, I, I just want to put out one other one as well. Let's. We talked about sales on the production end. What we're saying is if you're hiring another project manager, the individuals, the pool that you're looking at and, and who you're presenting this offer to essentially they don't have to have been a project manager in a different company before. They could have been running one crew and maybe they're younger than the rest of your project managers, but they're super hungry. They bring the attitude and the desire that Assad spoke about and they have deeply ingrained natural preferences and abilities mm-hmm. that would have been proven in their previous jobs. They just maybe haven't been a project manager yet. Totally. And that offer is so much more compelling to those individuals than someone who's just making a lateral project manager to project manager move. Yeah, you totally shoot yourself in the foot if you insist that this yeah. person has X many years as a project manager working for a similar company. Yeah. It's like, wh- that's just the complete opposite of what uh, Assad is prescribing. So I think, um, okay, let's, let's, just, let's just do a quick recap here because we've, we've covered a lot of stuff here. We got into... Um, like really diving into your network, incentivizing your team to do some of the recruiting for you. Um, That's a huge piece that I don't think people do enough of. 
Then we talked about the th that that pool of people that are actively looking and some tweaks that you can make to your job postings, running paid ads, you know, just like throw money at the problem. That is definitely, uh, if you're trying to get lucky, do everything you can to, to get lucky. So we talked about that. And then this last piece is, is people that can do the job, but they don't know who you are. Um, and I think this is probably of the three, this is the one that's maybe the most untapped in our listeners. Mm -hmm. So really, really good ideas to proliferate your, your potential sources uh, of employees. I want to, I've got sort of two questions here, I think, before we'll close. Um, Asad, one is just on some belief systems that I see floating around the space. Okay. One thing that I hear a lot, I hear it in conferences, I see it in the chat boxes of webinars I run. I hear it sometimes even with our members. It's an attitude towards young people, specifically millennials and Gen Zers. And the, the trope is basically none of them want to work. They're all lazy. They're totally, totally disinterested in trades and construction. So I'm just not even going to bother looking for them. How would you address someone with that mindset? I think... I think it's a lazy mindset to have. Um, I think, look at the three of us. It's Friday. I don't know when you guys are going to post this up, but right now it's Friday evening, close to about 6.30. We're on it, right? Like we're, we're recording this. Um, we're all millennials. We work hard. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg is a millennial. He's built one of the most successful companies in the world. His company is mainly filled with millennials and Gen Zs. Um, you know, you look at football, basketball, like you think those people don't have a work ethic in them. Now, there's always a in every generation, including the baby boomers and everybody else, there was a spectrum, right? There was the group that was super hardworking and they had the hustle in them and a bunch of people that didn't. Um, in every generation that exists, what is happening when people are complaining about this is that they have not spent the time to or been able to understand how to attract the best of the lot that is out there. Mm -hmm. And so they think it's because this entire group is of a particular mm -hmm. sort. No, it's because this group, just like your generation, has some people that work hard and some people that, you know, have other needs and wants in their life. And you don't know how to tap into it because you've been lazy because you're just doing the things the way you used to do them 20 years ago. You haven't adjusted to the new world. And now you're complaining about a whole generation and saying it's the entire, it's the entire generation's problem. No, it isn't. Mm -hmm. It's your problem. Mm -hmm. okay. so it's, yeah, it's a very much a lazy way of thinking. It's easy to externalize it. It's that a story way, that it? you're yeah. telling that yourself that then reinforces um, and and it's 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 not a good place to be. It's crazy. I I literally I remember going to somebody's house. It was like Super Bowl or something. And I I was invited there and there was a person from the older generation sitting watching a bunch of millennials play the Super Bowl. And complaining about millennials. It's like, what are you talking about? Like, you're literally watching a sport full of them. They're working hard. Like, look at how hard these people are worked. They've taken concussions. They're bleeding, sweating, breaking limbs. I don't know the sport that well, but it looks pretty intense. And so how, how does that even connect? It's just a crazy way to think in my yeah. mind. Okay. Yeah. The, um, the other one, you touched on it earlier, but, but it's, it's worth mentioning again. The other one is, um, 
is around COVID. I mean, we've had 18 months here, a little longer of, of this pandemic. Depending on where you live, there, there's been some government policy decisions. Here in Canada, we've had a program called SIR. People have been, um, you know, essentially paid to to not work or it's, it's a support program. And there are a lot of people that are, you know, it's like, the workforce is extremely lethargic. Nobody's going to apply for my business because they're getting paid more to sit at home and play Xbox in their underwear. Now, my attitude is like, do you do you really want that guy? Like, is your business really suffering because they're not applying to your business? Um, but I don't know. Maybe you can chime in on that piece as well. I, I think it's a really interesting thing to look at like my background in school was public policy so i really like to think about these things um, even though my career isn't in that space how many of the businesses how the business leaders that are complaining about this how many of their businesses benefited from the subsidies that were provided the rent subsidies the wage subsidies all right of them. so so there's a there's a role that the government has to play and we can all debate whether um how much they should do but personally speaking, you know, I am an immigrant. I come from a country that would at some time be considered a third world country. Maybe it's now a second world country um, that couldn't even afford a lockdown, right? They just couldn't afford it. Like, they, they, you know, we would complain about the lockdown. They couldn't afford it. And so when I looked at that, I was like, a lockdown is a luxury. And the idea of subsidies was crazy. Like to me coming from there, like the idea that the government steps in like that and provides all of this support really is quite inspiring and quite interesting to me. And so I think if you look at the pandemic, there was a healthcare crisis that shut the economy down. And the fact that the economy picked back up at the pace that it picked mm -hmm. up was because the government played a part in it. And we all benefited from that. Now, because of what they had to do to help all of our businesses survive, um, they also had to help people, right? And it made people really think. It made them think about what they wanted their lives to be moving forward. And so there's a shift happening. There are people shifting their career paths, and some of them are going into different fields. Um, and so there are certain industries that are losing people. Yeah. And they're losing people because they didn't offer those people exciting, invigorating career paths. That's my belief. And so we should learn from that versus just sit and complain about it. If 10% of the workforce has left our industry, um, it's a big problem. And we need to really ask some big questions of ourselves um, to be able to keep people and attract them. At the same time, we also need to recognize that right now, there's a really big trend happening in this world. Um, software is eating the world in a way, right? So the pandemic accelerated and compressed digital transformation. Mm -hmm. uh, what this means really is that because of the experience that companies went through in the pandemic, a lot of them, traditional companies realized we need to invest in technology to be able to be relevant moving forward. And that drives demand for technologies and growth in that sector. And that sector is hiring a lot of people. And because there was only a limited supply of people in their own sector, they're thinking creatively. They're looking elsewhere. They're offering very good, high-paying jobs to people from all sorts of other sectors. When people say all these people left hospitality, where'd they go? They're working at the technology companies that are selling shit to the hospitality companies, right? right? Um, they're working at the POS company and like, you know, all the scheduling software company, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So now... Our competition for talent is no longer the company that is just like mine next door. 
It's right. that sector. And so to compete against that sector, you have to really rethink how you what your employment value proposition really is. And if you don't have an employment value proposition and you haven't thought about it and you don't think about it, trust me, it will be the reason why you were not able to capitalize on the momentum that is available to you because of the impact of the pandemic, right? A lot of the businesses that you guys deal with are talking about how the pandemic created a lot of demand for Mm -hmm. them. There's a chance here, right? There's a chance to capitalize and really accelerate growth. The thing that will hold them back is the people part and people need more and you got to invest in them and give it to them to be able to ho- attract them and hold on to them in this environment. Yeah, I love that word, the employer value proposition. I think it's it's something we, we spoke about this in the previous episode, but it's it's something that not nearly enough entrepreneurs in the contracting space think about. And to Assad's point, you need to think about it not just in the context of what you what your value proposition is in the context of your competition in your industry, but in the market in general. Yeah. Right? It's, 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 it's a really, really good thought. Guys, this is awesome. Such a great discussion uh, and so much wisdom from Asad. I love it. Um, Asad, before we let you go, I just want to uh, ask you one more, um, ask you just, just for, for some thoughts on one more piece, which is something that we talked about last week, which I, I thought was, was such a powerful point in the way that a business owner should be looking at the way that they run their organization and in their org structure in general, which is this concept of kind of building this mindset of constant talent acquisition into your people, especially as you ascend them. So if you have someone that was running a small crew and now you're ascending them to be a project manager and oversee uh, a number of, 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 of crews and, and a whole production system, there's their responsibility as you grow them, the increased responsibility you give them in, in their actual deliverables, but there's also this expectation that always needs to get built in around talent acquisition. G- give, give us some of your thoughts on that, on that kind of approach in terms of um, integrating that mindset into the company culture. I think the first thing is that the owner of the business, the person who started it, or like the core leaders of the business, they've got to realize how important people are to their business. We've said this a few times, but I keep drilling it down because it's that important of a point, right? Like we have to realize that it's a strategic differentiator. It's a competitive advantage to have great people. And so if we can solve the sales and marketing problem and we solve the people problem, we have the maximum ability to grow, right? But if we only solve one of these problems, then we'll always have a limitation to our growth. Um, and so you've got to like solve both of these problems. It's important and great people can make a big difference in terms of your probability of being a special organization. You want to become undeniable, you need great people. Um, so that's important. And you're going to invest in finding and attracting and choosing and equipping these people in all sorts of interesting, uh, innovative ways. But you also have to bake it into your culture that it's not just that we look for people when we are desperate and we need them. If we have leaders in our organization, our leaders need to keep an eye out at all times for great people Mm. and great potential candidates. They need to be talking to people in the market. They need to be telling people why this is a great place to work. They don't need to always be selling. It's almost like branding, right? And you're branding yourself to people that are super talented for the moment that they might be open or you might need someone right? Mm. So that's really what you're doing. 
Um, and it's not that difficult to do it. You go to trade shows, you go to events, you you have you interact with people in your world. Um, so just make it a point to make sure that they think you're an absolute great place to work. And that has to be something you bake into your culture early on. Mm-hmm. And how you do that is when you put people in positions of responsibility, you don't put them because of their performance in the past job. You Put them in that position because of their ability to deliver on the mandate that they're going to grow into, right? Mm-hmm. And part of that mandate should have a component of, can you build a great team, mm-hmm. right? Can you help us develop our culture? Um, do we even know what our culture is? Are we one-dimensional about our culture? But that's a whole different discussion. We can come back to that some other day. Um, but... You are you going to help us build it? And a big part of building our culture is making sure you bring in, in great people. So do you know how to do that? Um, and that's important. And so making sure they're aware that this is their responsibility, but not just throwing them in the deep and letting them figure out how to swim, giving them some strategies and tactics and training on how to do it. Um, because otherwise, what are they going to do? They'll brutally prioritize the other things they have to do, and they won't do this thing because they don't know what to do. So you got to teach them how to do it in an efficient and effective way. And now what do you have? As you're growing, you have all these people in positions of responsibility that are, that have a group of 5, 10, 15 people that they can tap into anytime we need people. And we're hiring great people over and over again. So now we've got this flywheel. We've solved our demand sales and market uh, marketing problems. So we have high demand we can consistently hire so the flywheel is working and Mm -hmm. we're consistently growing our business in a profitable manner yeah love it such great wisdom we we promote people and we ascend them up our org structure not because of what they have done but what they will do and Mm -hmm. what we believe they can do and an integral part of that is team building within that new role and if we don't build that in it's uh, it's 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 not it's not a good situation, and and if we can do it, that flywheel spools up. I love it. Re- really good thoughts, Asad. Thank you. This has been so good. It's been a blast. Um, we went a little long, but we had to. This was so 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 good and very rich, and I don't think there was a minute wasted. No. Um, so this good. has been uh, an absolute delight to have you on. Just for our listeners who who have been uh, tuned in the whole time, where can people find out a bit more about you and STA? Um, firstly, thank you for having me. It's been uh, jolly good fun to be doing this with you guys. Um, in terms of where to find us, salestalentagency.com is our website. You can reach out to me. Um, my name is Asad, um, and my email is asad.zaman at salestalentagency.com. I'm not going to spell it out here. You'll find it on the website, but you can also find me on LinkedIn. I'm sure you guys will link some things. In we'll the put it notes. in the description. Um, but I'm pretty good on LinkedIn. I'm pretty good over email. Um, so reach out if you have any questions thank you so much for doing this have an awesome weekend and uh, we'll talk to you later thank you guys bye thanks a lot for listening to this episode of contractor evolution Uh, if you've already subscribed to our channel consider sharing this episode with another contractor who you think needs to hear it